uh, I've been thinking about scriptures. When I think about uh, these titles like emotional and healthy and spirituality, kind of did a sort of a side margin of, you know, what scriptures come to mind when you think about these, these particular words in this vernacular, what, 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 what scripture references come to mind? And so I've been taking some notes on, on the side. I think about Romans chapter eight, think about Romans chapter 12, Philippians two. I wanna take it to Romans chapter eight briefly, uh, Romans chapter eight, and, um, and, 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 and this sort of comes to mind. I hadn't read this yet in the book, but I suspect somewhere down the line, we will cross Romans chapter eight, verse five and six. And I'm reading tonight out of the New King James Version. It reads thus, Romans chapter eight, verse five and six. Once again, Romans eight, verse five and six. For those who live according to the flesh, set, set their minds on the things of the flesh, right? For those who live according to the spirit, okay? Now, I like to add words, but I know that's not right, but I would have put set there, but the things of the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, right? To be carnally or to be fleshly minded will ultimately lead to death, whether spiritual death, physical death, mental death, emotional death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, right? I got to keep reading this for a moment here. But you are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit. And indeed, if in the spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the spirit of God, uh, of Christ, he is not his. So we, we see tonight that there is an abstract difference and there is a parallel or comparison, I should say, that Paul writes to the church at Rome. He basically gives you the option. Either you are fleshly minded or you're spiritually minded. Uh, here's the ultimatum. And here is the, 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 the objective. If, if we walk in the flesh and keep a fleshly or carnal mind, well, here's the results. Here's the ultimatum. However, if we set, now I think the key word to me would be set. If we set intentionally, focus, fix our minds of things that are of the spirit, we are, here's the consequences. Here's the reward, life and peace. Now, I'm so happy to that I'm talking to people who are experienced people in the room. I think we all know what it's like to live on both sides of that pendulum. We all know what it's like to be on both sides of that track. We know what it's like to set our minds on things of the flesh and it leads to death. We also know what it's like to set, fix our minds the things of, of the spirit and lead to life and peace. So when I think about emotional, healthy spirituality, I think the decision is ours. We learned years ago that life is choice driven. We live and we die by the decisions we choose to make, right? So that's my little opening monologue and devotion and talk tonight. Let's get deep into this discussion on tonight on emotional, healthy spirituality. I want to take the first few moments tonight, and I'd like for you to talk to me. I'd like for you to discuss with us as a family tonight. We're, 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 we're online, but yet we're also here uh, on campus. I, I'd really like you to talk to me about some of the things that has surfaced, the things that have has resonated with you from chapter one of the intro, chapter one and chapter two, okay? I've got a little cheat sheet here. If you get stuck, I've got some help right here. But why don't you feel free tonight to tell me thus far in this series, what has stood out to you? What points, what principles, what epiphanies, what revelations, what has really just kind of caught your attention that you'd like us to know about? So anyone just take a moment and introduce yourself, give us your first name and have at it. Okay. And remember now, I ain't had a on a time schedule, so we may have to move a little briskly tonight. Yes, ma'am. Oh, yes, sir. I'll, I'll go. Yes, sir. For, for me. In your name, please. Troy. All right, Troy. Good evening, Troy. So uh, for me, the biggest thing is how um, recognizing and understanding that we are who we are today who we, who our parents were, it influences us to, 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 to be the person that we are today. 
So I'm, I'm seeing a lot of things that I know personally I need to work on that um, goes back to things that I've learned and grew up in, uh, you know, as far as to, to improve who I am and to, to be more spiritually healthy. Also, um, seeing where maybe um, our families will sometimes sweep things under the rug mm -hmm. um, and not deal with things in the forefront and and that being the reason that causes unhealthy spirituality. Somewhere there I read, Brother Troy, where we underestimate the impact of our past that has on our present. Is, is that what you would? That's where I'm trying to go. All right. Well, you, you're there. You ain't trying. You're there. And you did a good job. Yeah. Great job. Thank Sister, someone in the back. Sister Pat? Um, for me, it was understanding, which I didn't really think about before, that the spirituality or the spiritual side and the emotional side should not be separate. That, you know, we a lot of times will allow God to move in us and through us in the spiritual sense. And what we do is serving Him and through the Word of God and you know, do discipleship or ministry to others. But then when it comes to the emotional side of us, the emotional part, and dealing with the different emotions that we deal with and go through, we don't allow God, which it is a choice. We don't allow him in that part of our lives. So therefore you have the, you know, out of, when you're like angry or you're emotional and you're anxious and you're, you know, you go through all these emotions and not stopping to think that God, you know, how do I handle this? You know, this is what I'm dealing with. This is, you know, being real about what you're dealing with and being real with God about the, the feelings and emotions that you're experiencing right now and allowing him to, you know, change and move in that area because it was something how he said he could, you know, be a, uh, spiritually mature all these years and yet be emotionally immature, you know, and that's what I found. Mm. I didn't really think about the mm. two mm. to be joined together. As one, it's not a separate thing. Like God is helping you in the church, mm. he can't help you with your emotion. Mm -hmm. You know, God, don't, don't touch that part. <laughs> but he deals with that. You just deal with the spiritual side of it. You, know? you, 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 are, you, you are revealing a great dialogue, and we'll, we'll probably cover that at least two or three times before the night. So we thank you for that, but we will be revisiting that conversation in a moment. Let me get one more thought before we move on. Someone else. Well, just getting, you know, just having a chance to really get back into the book and read things. One of the things that stood out to me the most was the top 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Number one, losing God to run from God, <laughs> ignoring angry sadness and things like that. When you're taught up as, as young men and warriors, you ain't supposed to cry. You tie mm -hmm. up, you know, pick yourself up, wipe your eyes up, you know. All of those different things that we were taught as, as children that we should not be emotional and we should not show these different things. And so those 10 symptoms really, really, really stood out to me as, you know, coming up as a young man and even now today, you know, some of the things we have wrestled with from learning things about past and how to deal with certain situations. Sure, sure, sure. Thank you, Ella Hall. Sister Felicia, we'll come back because that's on my list to talk about. We all, in fact, I, all, I want us all to look at those 10 symptoms and try to identify at least one or two that kind of really stood out among the others. But Sister Felicia. Um, I just want to say, even the title, chapter three, going back to moving forward, because you do have to look back if you're going to be emotionally whole. And that's what this book is teaching me. And the author said, you know, he, he used the scripture that you're a new creature in Christ. Mm -hmm. But we still are product of all those things that mm -hmm. came from birth. All those things we've seen that are the patterns in our family, the practices of our family, and all those things have molded and shaped us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we mm -hmm. trust in those things more than we do what God is saying. Sure, sure. I'm going to get pastoral on a moment. And what I mean by get past, and thank you, by the way, Sister Felicia, for that thought. Um, I'm going to be personal and, and just a little bit selfish as a pastor. And I want to go back to page 10 because I am a pastor and my heart is tied to the success 
and the significance of this ministry. And so when he comes out of the gate in chapter one, dealing with church leaders, uh, uh, I, 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 and this is indicative of what I'm trying to say. I'm, I'm so busy right now. I don't have time to, uh, <laughs> I don't have time to go uh, get my eyes checked out and get new prescriptions for my glasses. So I thought it was church levers the whole time. I'm thinking, what is levers? How do you play with levers? And I went back and said, no, that, that's levers, not levers. So uh, let's go back, let's go to page 10 and find out about these three type of levers and not church levers, all right? Um, he says on page 10, there are three basically uh, type of church levers. Uh, uh, last paragraph, some of these levers are believers who no longer attend church. These men and women have made a genuine commitment to Christ, but come to realize slowly and painfully that spiritually, uh, that the spiritually available, excuse me, that the spirituality available in the church had not really delivered a deep Christ transforming life change either in themselves or others. What went wrong? Uh, they were sincere followers of Jesus Christ, but they struggled. Uh, marriages, divorces, friendships, parenting, singleness, sexuality, addictions, insecurity, drive for approval, feelings of failure, depression, work, home, the like. And, and they left the church. Then there's number two, the other kind. Uh, the church leaders include those who remain in the church, but now they're inactive. Okay, that's going to help us identify people who, who either left the church or some who are in the church, but they, they're kind of here, but they're not here. But then the third group on page 11, uh, second paragraph, this was those who sadly, they chose to jettison their faith completely. So not only did they leave God, excuse me, leave the church and leave the activity of the church, they just left God altogether. And, that, and that's, that's a personal call for me. That's a personal indictment on me, on any pastor, because we wanna know what can we do different? You know, how could we have pastored? How could we have preached? What programming, what, you know, activities? You know, and, and, and so, we all share because that's somebody's sister in this room, somebody's cousin, somebody's nephew, somebody's child. And we have to identify these levers. And then it goes to um, the iceberg model. Going back to Felicia, what you said earlier, uh, on page 15 and 16, there is the iceberg model. And if I have a dry race board, which I don't have tonight, it'd be a great way to give you an illustration of what you all saw in the book. It's what called the iceberg model, what lies beneath the surface. And we just, we're just fortunate to see your 10% on Sundays. What we see is the Sunday 10% tip of the iceberg. What we don't see is the 90% who we are Monday through Saturdays. Okay? We see the praise, the worship, the preaching, the ushering, the greeting, the Sunday school teaching, the youth church, everything else on Sunday. And that's the iceberg effect. What we don't see is that other mass that's under the water. And again, that's the what lies beneath. Let me pause for a moment. Someone talk to me about your perspective of either church leavers or the iceberg model. And then we're going to look for a moment at the uh, top 10 sentence. So when you think about the iceberg model, you know, we all think about the Titanic, okay? They saw a little bit of ice, a little bit of water, no big deal. Won't, won't bother fly. Let's keep moving ahead, right? But you all do know that little bit of ice end up, what you're talking about 110 years later. So how impactful can this iceberg model, and Felicia, I'll, I'll kind of just kind of pick up where you left off at. Uh-oh. How impactful can that model be in our lives today as Christians? Okay, for the iceberg? Yeah, just, just the fact, I, I think I'm looking at it visually. The fact that we think everything's found on the surface. And the little bit we do see, that's not really a big problem. But the reality is it is a big problem. And, and I'm starting to wonder now, is the church equipped to deal with what we don't see, which leads us to this class? Yeah, I, I, I think you agree. And I think it, it's almost like, even though we say the church is in the hospital, mm. it's more the sick, but we want to be the ones that come in looking very well. Okay, mm. okay. 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 I think that comes in. Uh, I think that comes in. Somewhere down the line, we're going to talk that as the body of Christ, we're supposed to be okay. And so I think there's one thing that stood out to me, and I can this: huge areas of my life remain untouched by Jesus Christ. 
And that's what the iceberg reminds me of this. And it makes me want to look at this, what areas of my life remain untouched and why. And part of the reason is because somewhere down the line in the church, we've been taught and we, we, mm. we uh, posted a spirit that the church, that we as saints have to be okay mm -hmm. in every area until we learn to fake it. And that's the mm. really what it is. Fake it or faith it? We're not even faking it. I say fake it. Fake it. I think this room. I, I hear you. I hear you. I heard you then. I hear you now. And I appreciate that thought. But I challenge you and say, I'm not, I'm not too sure we're not masters at both. We fake it greatly. But I want to do, we also try to faith it. He speaks about the, 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 the conundrum of churches faithing things out instead of practically dealing with it. You can only fake something out if you recognize it. And for the most part, when it comes to certain areas of our lives, we don't recognize that, that everything. Okay. Okay. We don't recognize that um, there are things about us that we haven't allowed God to touch because we didn't know to let God touch. Okay. So you can't have faith for something that you if don't, you don't know. So, sir? Um, I was going to talk about the spiritual life, spiritual life, and the way it possible. You don't want to do it. That's why you pray for all these crazy people, these crazy people, and just not dealing with it. So, when you ask the question, is the church really equipped to handle all these emotions? I say no. <laughs> we don't know what's coming in, what baggage folks are coming in the door. I may want to revisit that moment. Thank you, both of you all, for adding that. Um, very powerful observations. I, I'm, I'm turning some things in my head in the moment, but thank you for that. And we, I may want to revisit the moment. Did you want to add at all? Yes, sir, Pastor. I think, too, one of the things, especially with the outward effect, that a lot of times when we exit the church, we're supposed to be a hospital for the sick. But there's been too many people that have been hurt in the church by coming and wanting to share. So, for instance, I'm dealing with an issue of struggle. I go to a brother go to leadership and it's not kept confidential. True. I'll hear you next week. Oh man, I didn't know he was on the block. And that stopped us of having the faith and the belief that we can take things to the church, take things to leaders just because there's no accountability, there's no confidentiality in what you're sharing. And for most part, even if we look at it from a legal, uh, I mean a leader standpoint, where can a leader go and tell another pastor that I'm struggling with homosexuality? Right, and they keep that between them and not trying to take the church. You know, we don't have those barriers to go share our struggle with people and you know, have them pray for us as a key card. Very true, very true. Or even have a leader not treat you differently after you share it. Because it's another brother that he's like, I, if he's struggling with that, I don't know how to see you without eating on this. Because they don't think I got this. Right. Well, so, <laughs> I could have one of and too many times, Pastor, that I knew, there was a lot of folks that say, oh man, I would never do that. Man, I would never do this. I'll never cheat that. I'll never do that. But I've come to the realization of, of never saying what I will never do because I don't know the situation I'm putting. So I try to avoid certain situations so I don't have to make that choice. Be tempted, be tempted, oh, you know, get them a little bit. And they won't be all put in your place. So you can avoid situations instead of saying, oh, I don't have to do this. Mm -hmm. You know what? This <laughs> this this is growing a wonderful, wonderful, and evolving into a wonderful discussion. And I'm keeping my eye on the time. I see your hand in the back, Sister Pat. Make your make your comment. Thank you, by the way. Uh, I'm processing. I'm processing, and we're going to try to recover, uh, re recover all of this in a moment. Please make your your, your comment, your thought. Well, you ask the question of the church handle. That um, I think that when you look at iceberg, iceberg, you didn't get with that way overnight. Over time, it, it grew, mm. it grew, it grew Good in point. size. So Good point. Whether it was hurt, whether it was 
envious, whether it was jealousy, whether it was trauma from a childhood experience, whether it was trauma from a church experience, whatever, all that keeps growing and growing. So if you've got all that deeply rooted, as you would think of maybe like the roots from a, a tree that has been planted for years and they're deeply woven together with all of that, in order for you to deal with that that's below the surface, for the church to be able to deal with that with someone first, we got to, they got to be, that it has to start within the church. So that when we deal with it within ourselves, then we know how to help others outside of that that's coming in. Because I cannot go back to, you know, trying to help brothers deal with, you know, his sexuality or whatever, maybe a child, teen, is suicidal. I cannot help you if I myself have not come to the fruition of being my authentic self and dealing with those deep below the surface issues myself. Then I can't help you. I, that's that spirituality side that I'm allowing God to use, but I'm not allowing him to touch my emotional side. So how can I tell you how God can help me with that if I haven't so true. So true. And as you're speaking that, and as so many of you have thus far, how many basic elementary scriptures do we know that could alleviate a lot of what we're talking about? I mean, just things that you, you, you know, a little leaven left the whole lump, you know, um, being transferred, not being conformed, being transferred. So many scriptures. So I'm struggling. I'm going back to you, Cheryl, for a moment. I, I, I struggle when I think to myself, is the church equipped? to minister, I think the church is. I, I, I don't think the problem is with the church. I think it's us as leaders and, and culture that's created such a toxic environment. The church is a hospital and we should be the hospital for the sick. We should be equipped and empowered and there ought to be a freedom. There ought to be a transparency. It's not the church's fault, certainly not the word. I just think it's our culture that has evolved as of lately that has created this perfect storm that keeps men struggling, keeps women struggling in silent affliction. And we'll talk, I wanna go back to that faith and faith conversation in a moment. Let's go to page, I wanna go to page 24 real quick. Um, real good conversation, real good stuff. I do wanna acknowledge those that are online. Uh, one sister said, I am surprised at the resistance coming from within myself to deal with my emotions. Every wall I put up, it is as if the Holy Spirit knew what I was thinking and had an answer. And, um, and I appreciate her for sharing that. And it kind of goes along, Sister Pat, what you said earlier. Um, we are not allowing ourselves to deal with some of those truths and transparencies. It's not the word, certainly not the Lord. Sometimes it's us. And we are our own self product of what we create. And it goes back to what you said earlier. We have allowed our culture to keep us not from talking and being dealt with. Page, page 24. Um, we talked about the 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Let me read through them real quick. And I'd like for someone just to give me one, just give me one that kind of rings out to you. Um, by the way, so the author identifies 10 symptoms or signs, right, of someone who's dealing with an emotionally unhealthy spirituality. And I love this because I think we can comfortably talk as church folk among our own conversation, using God <clears throat> to run from God, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, dying to the wrong things, denying the past impact on the present. We talked about that one. Dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. I want someone to reach out and talk about that. Doing for God instead of being with God. Hmm. Spiritualizing away conflict. <laughs> Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Hmm. Living without limits. Judging other people's spiritual journey. That is a powder cage of a conversation, if I've ever seen one. Okay, who wants to start? Who wants to start? Which one stands out? Uh, yeah, get your mask. I see, I see some people staring over there at you. <laughs> yeah, okay. Thank you, man. All right. Yes, ma'am. Um, 
denying the impact of the past on the present. I think that is a huge one because I think people don't realize how much their past impacts mm -hmm. them. Just stuff that has built up over time. I'm also reading a book about <coughs> a, a more excellent way. It talks about the impact of um, disease, the disease process, and how about 80 to 90 percent of diseases are spiritually rooted. Wow. Bitterness and unforgiveness and self-hate and wow. all those things. And so if you don't even realize what's happening or what the impact that your past has on your present, that's how you can just keep living life beneath your privilege because you're so bound by, let alone what can happen to your sure. past. You said a more, the book was called The More Excellent Way? The More Excellent Way. Do you know who the author is? Uh, all right, but whenever. Yeah, Ray. Ray? Kimberly Ray? Okay. Okay. But you know what? Um, great example, by the way, when you talk about disease, particular bitterness, anger, and how that manifests in those areas. So very true. And that goes back to what Minister Troy was saying earlier about the, the impact of the past. Thank you, Sister Daniel. Someone else? What, what, what out of those 10, which one really just kind of pops off the chart to you? While you're waiting, I love, um, I didn't see it the first time, but um, number six, I think as a pastor, I've struggled with this. And um, I, I think a lot of clergy deals with this one, doing for God instead of being with God. I'm going to find a scripture in a moment where the Bible says that Jesus, he, when he called the disciples, he called them to be with him first before they were called out and before they were called to do, he called them to him first. And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes we've made as preachers, pastors, reverends, clergy, elders, ministers, deacons. We got the calling confused with doing out versus being with him. I'll find that scripture in a moment. And um, I, I'm looking forward to reading the chapter about the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath again. All right, someone else. Okay. Can you elaborate on number two? Excuse me, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. Do you mind elaborating maybe a little bit? Just a minute. I think sometimes um, when it comes to trauma, we want to take it away with uh, this didn't happen because God got something better, or this didn't um, uh, manifest, but I know that God has my back. And, He's going to prepare me for something different. So we never take the time to really feel the anger, the sadness, and the fear. Because we're so busy with God's going to do something different. So if this didn't happen today, God's got something better for me tomorrow. But we never really dealt with the real feeling of, I'm mad. I'm angry. Okay, uh, Dr. Jeff, I'm gonna put you on the spot because you 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 ministered and talked from a book called Spitting Anger. I know you dealt with it from a different perspective. Sister Linda, thank you, but don't go anywhere because I want to bring you back to your conversation. Talk to me about anger. W where should we as Christians be? I had a I had a moment or I had a situation last week. Tw well, actually, it's been twice now in the last few days. Where should I be as a Christian as it relates to anger? And, I'm, and Linda, I want you to start, but then Dr. Jeff, maybe you can expound on this as well. Should, because the Bible tells me to be angry and sin not. But somewhere in my context, being angry makes me feel like I'm in the flesh. Sister Linda, you, you first. I mean, do I have a, can I be angry and still be okay with the Lord?
Okay. Now, it's not with you today in that moment. Okay. But you do have to heal. All right. To heal. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I think number three talks about dying to the wrong things. And, you know, anger is an emotion. Jesus, Jesus expressed anger when he took over the tables in the temple. All right. So it's a human emotion. I think part of what we struggle with is not finding the source of the anger. You know, we just let it fester. Um, and then I could just go to either parent relationships or marriage relationships where you know we lose it because our child didn't do something. It's not because they didn't do that one thing or we get we show anger at our spouse because of one little thing, but it's things that's built built up. And so it's okay to be angry, right? Because it's a human emotion. But we need to find out where that anger comes from and resolve the issue. You know, so um, the part of it is the biggest takeaway in the book is know thyself, which is an old Egyptian proverb, right? Know thyself. Um, and the whole takeaway of how can we grow in spirituality if we don't know who we are? Mm -hmm. We don't do the internal reflection. Not, and not internal reflection based on how others perceive us or how we want to be perceived or think like what we have or status or whatever, but really do some internal reflections and begin to resolve why do I think that way? Why do I act that way? Why am I angry about this or what have you? Um, and begin to acknowledge those issues and then acknowledging them uh, opens up a deeper spiritual walk with God. Mm -hmm. Before I get to Pat, thank you, Dr. Sheard. Before I get to Pat and Vanessa, Sister Marla said, we hide our emotions instead of using our emotions to heal. It's okay to cry, scream, and be angry. These are natural emotions, as he just said. Let's not ignore them, yet pray for emotional healing. And I think that's very in step what you just said, because it is, it is a human natural nature to have those emotions. Angry is the second emotion. It typically the maybe the iceberg or something that lies deeper within. Okay, Sister Pat first, and then Sister Vanessa. Well, I think it goes back to what they just said. You know, when you talk about the Bible says be angry, so it's stating or letting us know that okay, you acknowledge that it's anger. It is emotion. So for you as a Christian to, to try to hide it and say, oh no, I'm okay, I'm right, and not you know just coming to the truth that yeah, you were angry. Then how can we help someone else that is going to experience the same thing? Those emotions. Are we going to tell them as a Christian, oh, you just you pray about it, you be all right, you don't worry about, you know, you don't deal with that emotion. And then when, like in the mental health field, when you're counseling someone and you're talking about why did that make you angry? What what was it that you know you were thinking about who were you around, who you're listening to? But you're trying to peel back those layers of things that over time they have allowed to, you know, fester and not deal with. So even in the mental health side, you know, it talks about those things, acknowledging those emotions and, and understanding where it came from, the triggers that brought that about. So then now you can start dealing with it because now you're saying where it came from. Now I can, you know, acknowledge that this is the emotion that I'm experiencing. How do I deal with that? So you know, why would we think that as Christians, you wouldn't mm -hmm. want to first acknowledge that this is an emotion that I'm having, I'm dealing with? True. How do I deal with it in a better way? Okay, good. Okay. I think we forget what anger actually is. Anger is the expression of, some, of something that is frustrated or disappointed. Okay. That's what anger is. And so when we deal with it, the anger, mm -hmm. the explosion, mm -hmm. or we never deal with what frustrated us, the, the, the cause of the anger, and, and, uh, or the fact that you're disappointed and why you're disappointed. And so when we recognize those are the issues, the, the, the frustration in that, and we don't, we don't get, we don't call frustration a sin. We don't call disappointment a sin. Yet we treat anger as if it's a sin. Almost sound like we're major in the minors and minor in the majors. We're, we're, we're looking to give the horse in the mouth right here. And we're not focused on the thing we should be focusing on. Let me get one more comment. Dr. Sheer. Well, just a great example. I'm, I'm just a piggyback on what she said. So, a lot of times in relationships, we talk about um, 
women need love, men need respect, particularly black men. And where does this whole respect come from? Why, why are we, when we disrespected, are we angry? Where does it come from? You know, so it's really the whole idea of what is that unresolved issue that we have as men that we desire for women to respect? What, what, why is that so internal to us? Mm -hmm. if you don't, because it's a norm in our culture to not be disrespected. Mm -hmm. That's the norm. We see it as normative behavior. And that's why we will never really try to resolve what does that mean because we see it as normal. So we don't understand where anger comes from, why we be disrespected, we, we, we lash out. So there again, it's normative behavior, but we have to look inside, like, where is it coming from? Why am I, why do I lash out like this? Thank you for sharing that, Ella Hall. I know you had your hand up. I want to have a transparent moment and say this. Um, I've had not one, not two, but I've had three incidents, probably in the last four days, where my anger showed. Um, interesting enough, one at home, one here at the church, and one in business. And instead of highlighting them, I'm looking at me because I'm asking myself, what is it? Why do I care so much? What is it that I'm trying to protect? And you said that just now, what is it? Why is this so tender and so dear to me that my anger would elevate? You know, not ungodly. I don't think it was ungodly or anything that I would take back, but it flared to the point where I feel the physical part of it. And I'm like, and so maybe at 52 now, I'm taking that look you spoke of and I'm saying, it's not so much, it's not so much the things that have happened, but it's my response to those things. Because the way I'm responding, I ain't gonna live long enough if I keep this type of response going. And again, just for clarity, you know, wasn't nobody throwing nothing, fussing and cussing and all that. But I care enough and I'm passionate enough to protect these things. I said, you know, this past Sunday about Ananias and Sapphire, wasn't about the money, wasn't about the tithe, wasn't about the property. It was about the unity of the spirit. And maybe that's in your marriage. Maybe it's in business. Maybe it's in church, whatever it might be. We got to go back and ask ourselves the question. How do we better balance these areas and issues? OK, and guys, I know we're spending a little bit more time and now we got to rush through the rest of this class. Elder Hall, did you want to give that one last thought now or we can wait? Let's take what we do. Let's transition to chapter three and we'll try to make a little bit of time. And if we get to that 8.15ish moment and we're not there, please take some time. Please take time to, to bring up that question, okay? We gotta segue real quick to chapter three. Um, and this is sort of, you know, we, we, we talked about the symptoms. Now we're dealing with the antidote. We, we, we talked about the problems. How do we help these problems? Which I love the practicality of this particular part. So chapter three, the radical antidote, all right? <laughs> I love the word radical. We don't use that word often, the radical antidote. And for those that are online, I'm looking at your comments, Sister Jennifer Gray, thank you. Uh, of course, David, thank you also as well, because you, you brought out a good point I want to bring out tonight. Uh, Sister Graham, thank you as well. Um, she, she actually made a statement that got, got my attention, spiritualizing away conflict. That was her takeaway. I'm good for falling on the scriptures. God is not a God of confusion. Very true. So I would quickly shut down and walk away. So another perspective here, because the scripture is the scripture, because God is God, I'm just going to let him do it and I'm walking away from it, which could be escapism or denial, whatever you want to call it. And these are things that we have to deal with in this context, right? So thank you for that. Uh, Jennifer Gray, we're all human and no one is perfect. It's okay to be angry or upset at times, all right? Um, one last comment. We hide our emotions instead of using our emotions to heal. I think I, I quoted that one already earlier, okay? Um, anger is okay. The sin is not forgiving the person or, or, or object of your anger, which is so true. Anger is fine. Unforgiveness is not fine. Thank you so very much, sister. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know if this is sister, brother Andre, or sister Andre. Anyway, thank you. So, chapter three, um, page thirty-nine. Basically, he gives the definition of what emotional health is. There's another definition of contemplative spirituality, but then he brings it together as the ultimate antidote, but not just an antidote, a radical 
antidote. Let's process through that just for a moment. I want to start on page 40, okay? And I want to read uh, the second paragraph. Um, in fact, let me read the first two paragraphs, and then we'll open up a discussion. All of the previous are excellent steps to begin the journey with Christ. And we've talked about, and basically he gives those traditional things that we all know to do in the church as it relates to getting close to Christ, the church, and the things of the Lord. Yet, there are simply not enough. After a few years, uh, after a few years, many find the past deeply rooted behavior patterns that move them away from Christ remain untrenched. Uh, page 40. And what we're teaching them simply isn't enough to combat those patterns. What most people are left with is the long list of things to do and not to do. Ten new things to not feel guilty about messing up on. All right. What is needed is the injection of an antidote to all into all aspects of the Christian life. An antidote that turns our spiritual lives right side up. I'm talking about emotional health and contemplative spirituality. Together, these two unleash a revolution in our lives, positioning us so to God can mold us into the men and women he has called us to be. Want to stop right there. He goes into the book of Revelation. He gives an understanding of what we would call the beast yesterday and the beast today. He talks about, obviously, as, as John the Revelator talked to ancient, uh, modern day Turkey, the province of Asia, all of the worldly secular systems then. In my book, I wrote down the notes. I wonder what John the Revelator would say about the United States of America today, right? Very common, very, very uh, comparisons then. Now, all that being said, let's talk about these two terms real quick, real quick. Then I want to put those terms together and then we're going to have an exercise on tonight. So who can talk to me? And here's a little cheat sheet, page 45, about emotional health. When the author, uh, by the way, uh, Pete uh, uh, Scazzario, when he talks about emotional health, what does emotional health look like? Of course, we have some, 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 some characteristics of it, but someone helped define what it means to be emotional healthy. Okay, just emotional healthy. And you, for those online, if you can, chat maybe a sentence or two of what emotional healthy looks like. What does an emotional healthy Christian look like? And then number two, we'll talk about contemplative spirituality. Emotional healthy first, someone first. Just being able to recognize where those emotions come from and then dealing with it. It's not about what happens, it's about how you deal with it. The outcome that's the biggest impact. Okay. So I think if you're emotionally healthy, you recognize, you're in tune to okay. what you're feeling. Okay. And Managing. how to process. Managing, processing well the, the feelings and emotions that you're dealing with. You understand your triggers, you understand your weaknesses, you understand your strengths. And okay. you're not denying it. Good. Okay. Someone else? Emotional health. Yes, ma'am. I said it was um, recognizing and identifying emotions yet not being controlled by them. Recognizing the emotions without being controlled by them. Recognizing the emotions yet not being controlled. Got it. Perfect. And Jennifer Grace says the exact same thing online. She says emotional health looks like control. Very good. Someone else. Let's look at page 45. And Vanessa, I assume we have two different types of books or something. Is that what's going on? Yes, ma'am. All right. In other words, I got the 10-year-old version. Is that what's going on? Most of them have the updated Oh, my God. In the updated versions, chapters 1, 2, and 3 are... For us, it's included in chapter okay. one for you. And then I think I wrote it down last week. Yeah. Well, my apologies. I, I figured something was going on when y'all kept staring at me every time I said page something. Y'all look at it. All right. So mine says February 2011 when I got this book, right? But I didn't read it until September 2021. Ten years this book sat on the shelf, and I did nothing with it. And uh, okay, so don't go leave it at that. Just okay, leave it alone. All right. Now, with that being said, uh, on my book, page forty-five says emotional health looks like, as you said, naming, recognizing, managing your own feelings, um, identifying with, and having active compassion for others. Very interesting. I wouldn't have thought that, but having compassion for others, initiating, maintaining close and meaningful relationships. 
I'm just curious to know how many of y'all are older or how many of y'all recognize the value of relationships now, maybe versus five, 10, 15 years ago? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Breaking free from self-destructive patterns, being aware of how our past, here we go again for the third time, impacts our present. So in other words, Felicia, you said earlier, if any man being Christ, he's a new creature or created act, old things have passed away. That might be true in scripture. Old things, there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. Thank God he forgives our sins. But it may not, that may not mean our emotions, our vulnerabilities, our, 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 our habits, right? So there may be some things embedded that didn't kind of go with the package deal there that we still need to work through. Hmm. Okay, got it. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. <laughs> uh, sounds like I need to pause right there for a quick moment. Somebody want to expound real quick right there? I'm trying to teach this class as fast as I can and as best as I can, but I need to pause. Everybody all right? All right, asking for what we need, want, or prefer clearly, directly and respectfully. Okay. All right. Learning the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspective of others. I know I did. I know I did. But since you, okay, since you called it out, let me go back and deal with it. Um, which one was that? Accessing? No. Accurately self assessing our strengths, limits, weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. Well, since you wanted to bring that out, you must have had something you wanted to say. Yes, ma'am. Actually, it's, uh, I heard this, but I thought that I think that sometimes that seeing ourselves as we truly are is hard, and, and we tend to avoid it. And what we tend to do is Access ourselves based on what we assume others think of rather than the reality. I recently I was at a Mary Kay meeting and she gave me a list of things to do. And one of the things she told me to do Mary Kay did herself? I mean, I was at a Mary Kay. Oh, someone at the meeting told you that. Oh, yeah, oh okay. My national told me she said, Vanessa, I want you to do, I want you to list your strengths. I want you to list. The hint, what will hinder you from doing for your business? I want you to list the opportunities. So I said, What you want me to do is so do a SWOT analysis. And she said, Yeah, I want you to do a SWOT analysis of yourself for your business. So I sat down and do it. Well, I had no problem with my weaknesses, I had no problem with my opportunities. My problem was listening, listening, listing my strengths. Mm. Because I couldn't see. Mm. When, so when, she, when they started listening, I didn't see what they saw. Wow. And so I think we all have that issue. And so it, that, the word accurately reflects that thing. Accurately. Because sometimes we do not access ourselves. Over. Over. Yeah. Over. Mm. <laughs> we think we more than what we actually You know what's funny is, again, going back to scripture, we're taught to prefer others over ourselves, speak highly of others over ourselves. We're taught to be humble and meek. And, you know, so we're in this 30, 40 year culture where we're really not supposed to toot our own horn. And maybe there's some, 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 some value with, with um, because let's face it, no one likes to tell their resume. No one likes to, you go into a meeting, you go into a new room of people, hey, tell us about yourself. We usually choose the most modest, humble way to go about doing that, right? Because we're taught to do that. But when it's needed and accurately, I want to do we struggle with that. I know we keep, I know we keep, need to keep moving on, but the, the great point, Sister Vanessa, you bring out. So I did skip one. I, I didn't want to hit them all, but since the, I might as well go ahead and hit all of them since you didn't let me skip one. Um, distinguishing and appropriately expressing our sexuality and our sensuality. Uh, let's see. Uh, so who wants to take 30 minutes and deal with that one? Uh, anybody, no? Oh, okay, let's keep moving. All right. I really want to get to the grieving part. I, I really want to get to the grieving part, but I don't, in fairness, want to skip over expressing our sexuality and our sensuality. Maybe that's a good exercise for those who are married to spend time with their spouses. If those who are single, find another same, uh, same sex single to confidently talk through and grapple with. Maybe that's more appropriate time to do that. 
and not rush through that tonight in this type of a setting, I do think that needs to be dealt with and it needs to be um, monitored and it needs to be properly uh, measured, okay? But the grieving part, that's what I was really trying to get to. Um, do we grieve well? Does the church culture allow us to grieve well? I pray we mature and I pray the city church helps in the process of growing in grace and how to grieve better. Because I think on average, we don't do good in helping people grieve as a church. We're too busy. We fry chicken, we do potato salad, we shout and holler, we harry the funeral. And I'm talking pre-COVID right now, talking non-COVID. We get in, we bury, we move on. It's almost like a machine. One phone call, maybe a call and a half before a good church. And that's it. That's it. Stephen, I think also um, we as individuals serve in the church sometimes feel that if I'm not here to do it, nobody else will do it. So if I go in, if I bury a loved one on Friday, I'm trying to be back in church because there's a service or something that's falling if I don't be in it because we have to wait for them. So I think that's one thing too that doesn't allow us to take the time. Unfortunately, I was a part of that 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 engine making over the years of building. And, and we all had that stigma that we had to be back for praise team, for armor bearing, for ushering, Sunday school, whatever it was, it was an engine. It was a mega church building engine. And, and we said we were okay with going on vacation, but just try to be back on Sunday mornings. We said we were okay with this meeting or that or this, but you know, you get Monday through Friday degree, but Sunday, we need you to, and, and, and that was then. And I clearly recognized, I clearly recognized those benchmarks in those moments. And now I pray that, I pray people can sense and tell it there's a difference when it comes to those moments in people's lives. You take all the time because you know what, we're gonna be right here when you get back. And if you need an extra weekend, you know, if you need a whole month, do what you need to do because we cannot contribute to unhealthy grieving, not just grieving for that mo moment, anniversaries, love moments, children, moments in their lives. And again, that was sometimes the pain of building. Uh, here it goes, goes back to that point. We were doing this for God, but not with God. Because had we truly been doing it with God, we'd have recognized that he'll provide for us, whether so-and-so is here or not. And, I, and I'm not talking about you. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that the church don't allow Sometimes we'll give you a month. Yeah, it's Not that the church saying you can't be out for a month or whatever. Okay, is that therapy though? Is that self-therapy for that person because they feel like the busier they are, the, the quicker they can rush through this bereavement? Now, I can only speak for me, Pastor. Normally for me, when I'm going through something and dealing with issues or circumstances or situations, I get my relief from coming in here and being a part of the service to get it work. That's me. Occasionally, I may want to take a little time off, but when I feel that I'm taking a lot of time away from the church, I think that's me personally, it hinders me. But that's just me. But it's never been where, okay, pastor said, you know, okay, you just lost someone, you need to be back on Sunday. I never had that stigma or that, you know, understanding that that's what they had. I think there are variations in degrees because I can see where a pastor or church could have this expectation that the great, you know, think about it, when someone gets sick, I mean, you, I mean, I might've said it in joking at times and I probably have, but for a lot of us, you know, man, I'm a little in the weather, man, but look, God's got a healing. And if you need healing, the church is the best place to get it. Come on to church Sunday morning. We did, you know, and, and there is some truth to that. I think according to your faith, be it done. But the flip side of that, if someone was grieving or bereaving something, maybe to them, their therapy and healing was to be actively in church because they got they, they felt the presence of God. They they were one they were there and they were safe in their safety zone. But then it also kind of sped up the process because for them that was their quote unquote healing. But I just wonder was that sound and solid, or did it somehow undercurrent wise delay the authentic healing that person needed? That that was the point I was making. And I, I think there's something, but but you know, with with, with all of that conversation piece. Yeah. Yep. 
I, the, the church culture sometimes, especially those of us who are in leadership, um, you come to the point where you feel like you have to be a church. And sometimes in some churches it was like that. You did have to be there. What you don't do is you don't allow yourself to be because you so we would have to be strong enough to keep moving. Okay. And that can then, you know, and yeah, you do you, you being in the presence of the Lord is a good thing and it's awesome. But if you're so busy working, right, you, you, you defeat so the purpose. If, yeah, you take away from the day. You don't allow the church service to do what it was meant to do because you're too busy working, which is to heal you, to give you that moment. And it's okay. I, I, one thing mm. I've learned after having, in the last 10 years, having suffered through a couple of tough deaths, is that it is okay to sit down. It is okay to come in the house of the Lord and not do. Okay. It is okay to grieve. And we don't give ourselves, it's not so much pastors or other we don't give ourselves permission mm -hmm. to grieve because we don't know what it looks like. Sure, sure. Very good point. I want to get one more comment and then we I need to jump over to contemplative spirituality. Thank you, Vanessa. Okay. I'm going to piggyback off of what you that sometimes we think there is a time limit for grieving. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I'm a speaking person, it's not really a time limit because sometimes it can hit you years later of something that has happened. Triggers. Something that the person that passed away that you have not emotionally dealt with, maybe an issue that you haven't dealt with. I think that's still a process of grieving. And not being able to express to that person maybe some hurt feelings or something that was not resolved before death. So there's, I don't see a time limit. Okay. People like to put a box in how many we should be over that by now. And I don't think that's so. It's 8-11. I got four minutes. I have to be true to this time. And thank you for that, by the way. Thank you. I think the takeaway is you really can't put an expiration stamp time on grieving. You will have to know and the Lord will confirm when that process is cleared through. Um, it is obvious. I am not, we're not going to finish this outline. We're going to have to put a pause here and pick it up next um, Tuesday night. I think when we sat down and discussed how we were going to do this class, we realized that we were not going to be able to rush chapter by chapter by chapter. We would have moments like tonight where It'd probably be a disservice if we just kind of rushed through. Um, so next Tuesday night, let's talk about Mary Martha. It's a great discussion. We usually like to love siding with, with um, Mary. Wait a minute, Mary, which one was at the feet? Mary, she was a worshiper, right? But, there's a lot of church administrators who would say, <laughs> volunteer coordinators who would say, we need that Martha too now. Don't get me wrong now, Mary. You had all week long to weep and cry and wail and moan and all that other stuff. I hear you. Here's time to get down to business. And you, okay, you had all week to do all that. Now we're trying to get something done. So great conversation. But my intention tonight was to break up into small groups and let you all kind of flesh out Mary and Martha's situation and come back. Time did not allow for that. Um, but I, I, I'd like for you to, to, to do two things tonight, two things. Number one, I get two T's for you. Number one is Tammy Faith. Number two is thank you, all right? Let me start with the latter first. Thank you all for being here tonight. And thank you all for being online tonight. There's still more comments coming in about grieving, about emotional healthy. Um, the good news is we can save those comments. We can pick up next week. For those who could not be here tonight, thank you all. I can see you all, all of you all. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for being online. But I want to thank you all for being here tonight as well. You responded to the call. Um, my heart breaks when I know we have good content and I know we have good meat. And if anyone's ever cooked a big meal and a great meal, you know how it feels to cook a great meal and no one shows up. And it's not about preaching and teaching. The book by itself is, 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 is the content. So I want to thank you all for taking time to be here tonight. Number two, I've not seen the movie yet, but I've heard 
In fact, when I was with uh, Dr. McAllister and her husband last uh, week, uh, week, week before last in LA, you know, they asked us, had we went and seen the movie? And uh, we said, no, we really had time. But we, we, are, we are hearing even through quote unquote movie experts online that this Tammy Faye movie is, this lady's up an Oscar. They say it's just that good. And as I was thinking about some of the things we were talking about tonight, especially how we talked about how the past impacts the now, um, I've not seen the movie, so I won't spoil it, but I've heard enough to know, you know, it, this, this, the movie's all over this book. The book is all over the movie, I should say. Maybe that's a good homework assignment. Maybe sometime between now and next Tuesday, treat yourselves to a movie, go see it. Um, I think you're gonna see a whole lot of this book screaming at you as you watch that movie. And it's not for one to understand a cheesy movie. I, they say that this woman is literally up an Oscar and it is thoroughly uh, a movie as it puts in context the Christian church life and the emotion and if anything, the emotional, healthy spirituality, okay? So with all that being said, all that being said, um, it is 8.15, gotta be fair and honest and uh, a man of my word when it comes to the class. Great seeing everyone tonight. We will pick up next week with um, uh, contemplative spirituality. That's where we start. We're gonna put the two together and um, we'll talk about the three gifts of integration, the gift of slowing down, the gift of anchoring God's love and the gift of breaking free from illusions. And uh, we'll have a little discussion about Mary Martha. All right, let's stand to our feet.